Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, guide us, Lord, as we open your word. Uh, We pray that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Today's uh, sermon is entitled, Bloods, Crips, and the Remnant. Bloods, Crips, and the Remnant. We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel today, and we're going to be taking some complex uh, issues and hopefully simplifying them. And um, I have a very simple message for us today. So we're going to begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. The Bible says, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Paul here is writing, and he's basically pointing out the fact that the history of Old Testament Israel uh, contains lessons for us upon whom the ends of the world are come, particularly in the end times. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the history of Old Testament Israel, particularly as it pertained to the kingdom of Babylon. We're going to begin by looking at two nations. Egypt was one. Babylon was the other, and their relationship to Jerusalem. So let's go ahead and uh, look at Jeremiah 37, verse 5. And the Bible tells us there, Then Pharaoh's army was come forth out of Egypt. And when the Chaldeans that besieged Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Very simply here, the Bible is telling us that, uh, is showing us the history of what happened uh, before Babylon besieged Jerusalem and took God's people captive. We find that Pharaoh of Egypt actually came to the assistance of Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that Pharaoh, in essence, went out to fight against Babylon. Egypt went out to fight against Babylon, and this deterred Babylon from their siege around Jerusalem. Babylon had to go and fight with Egypt. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up these two kingdoms, Egypt and Babylon, as uh, huge gangs, okay, just so that you can kind of get the picture. And we're, we're going to say that... Um, uh, just for example's sake, we'll say that Egypt would represent a gang from the south. We would call them Southerners. Uh, we would uh, call them, if you speak Spanish, we would call them uh, Sorenos, right? So that's Southern gang, right? That's Egypt. Uh, because Egypt was south of Jerusalem. So if you would be so far, give me an amen. Pastor, we're following you and we can move on because Babylon was actually north 
of Jerusalem. And so we would call Babylon the Northerners or the, the North Gang or the Nortenos if you speak Spanish. Um, we might even go as far as to say, hey, we're going to call, let's call the Egyptians, again, just for gang language sake so you can get the idea. We'll say that the Egyptians were the Crips and Babylon, we'll call them the Bloods. All right. And, you know, the, the, the famous, uh, uh, these gangs started in L.A., the Crips, their color is blue. The bloods, their color is red. You get the idea. We're just looking at examples now, okay? And we're just trying to put this in like modern language so that you can get the idea. So Egypt, Southerners. Babylon, Northerners. Egypt, Crips. Babylon, Bloods, okay? So two huge gangs. Keep that in the back of your mind and let's keep reading. In Ezekiel 26 verse 7, the Bible says... For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, a king of kings from the north, with horses and with chariots and with horsemen and companies and much people. So now what I want you to notice is this. Babylon was from the north, as we pointed out earlier. But the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is called a king of of kings. This is, this is very significant, okay? Because we know that that title is a title that actually belongs to who? Who, everyone? That's right. Jesus. Jesus is the true king of kings and lord of lords. But here Nebuchadnezzar is given this title, king of kings. And please note that he is from the north. And please note that he comes with horses and with chariots and horsemen. Remember these words. Remember these terms. Let's keep moving. Uh, the Bible says in Jeremiah 37 verse 6 to 8. So remember, Egypt pushes against Babylon. That's, what we, that's where we begin. Egypt is pushing. They come out to fight against Babylon. So this king from the south is pushing against this king from the north. Okay. So the Bible says in Jeremiah 37, verse 6 through 8, Then came the word of the Lord unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, the Lord, the God of Israel. Thus shall ye say to the king of Judah. All right, so the king of Judah, or obviously king of Jerusalem, that sent you unto me to inquire of me, behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come forth to help you, shall return to Egypt in their own land, and the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, shall come again and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. So God is here telling them, listen, Egypt, this king from the south, this southern gang, even though they're coming to fight against Babylon, Babylon, this king of the north, or the northerners, uh, are going to fight back against the southerners, uh, against the Crips, and they are going to beat them. And when they defeat them, they will come back to Jerusalem and seek to destroy Jerusalem. All right. If you're with me so far, just let me see, give me an amen. We're following you, Pastor. All right. Very good. So far, so good. So let's keep moving. The Bible says, therefore, Ezekiel 30, verse 19, 
to 21. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will give the land of Egypt, southerners, right? Crips. I will give the land of Egypt unto Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, northerners. And he shall take her multitude and take her spoil and take her prey, and it shall be the wages for his army. I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor, wherewith he served against it, because they wrought for me, saith the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God, I will also make the multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So again, we're seeing here that this war between king of the south or this king of the south and this king of the north ends up with the king of the north defeating the king of the south. The northerners defeating the southerners. We're going to keep moving. Uh, Jeremiah 46, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, The word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Gentiles, against Egypt, against the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Karshemish which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, smote in the fourth year of, of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. This is the battle of Karchemish. This is the battle where Babylon defeats Egypt after Egypt had come out against Babylon. So to recap, Egypt south pushes against Babylon. Babylon pushes back against Egypt and defeats Egypt. All right, I hope you follow me so far. Jeremiah 46, verse 13, the word that the Lord spake to Jeremiah the prophet, how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, should come and do what? Smite the land of Egypt. Jeremiah 46, verse 13. This happens, and the Bible says in 2 Kings 4, verse 7, <clears throat> that the king of Egypt came not again anymore out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken from the river of Egypt unto the river Euphrates, all that pertained to the king of Egypt. So here we have the Bible describing the defeat of the southerners by the northerners. Now, when this happens, this introduces us to Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem. And what did he do? He besieged it. He besieged it. Now, I need you to follow this carefully. It was not until Egypt was defeated by Babylon that Babylon then turns its attention on Jerusalem, the land of God's people. We might call it the glorious land, the holy land. All right. Please watch this. The king of the south, Egypt, pushed against the king of the north, initiated the conflict with the king of the north. The king of the north returns the favor, fights back against the king of the south, the, the southern gang, the Crips, if you will, defeats them. So they're no longer on the scene. They're no longer an issue. They're no longer, they, they are out of the picture. And when that happens, then Babylon turns its focus, its wrath, if you will, on Jerusalem. And they besiege it. All right. Let's keep moving. 
when they turn their attention on Jerusalem to besiege it, we find in Daniel 1, this verse, Daniel 1 verse 5, the king appointed to them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years. So what did the king of Babylon do here? He was basically enforcing the children of Israel to eat Babylonian meat and to drink Babylonian wine. In other words, he was enforcing the wine of Babylon. I'm going to pause for a second and have you just meditate on what I just said. After the king of the north defeats the king of the south, he then turns his attention on the people of God, the glorious land, and enforces the wine of Babylon. And you'll remember in Daniel 1 verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. So Daniel says, I'm not drinking the wine of Babylon. All right. I want you to please be thinking very carefully with me. This is Daniel chapter one. We're now going to go to Daniel chapter two. And in Daniel chapter two, you'll remember that there's a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and this dream troubled him. The first verse of Daniel tells us that the dream troubled him. Remember that word. He was troubled. So he wakes up, no one can tell him the dream, and then Daniel gives him the interpretation of the dream. But in that dream, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the king of the north, receives troubling news. Daniel 2.37 tells us what that troubling news is. Here's what Daniel says, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given thee a kingdom and power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, has he given into thine hand and has made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. That's good news. However, the next verse says, after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. So let's stop right there. Nebuchadnezzar receives troubling news. What is that troubling news? That a kingdom is coming after his kingdom to overthrow his kingdom. Now we know what that kingdom was. We know that kingdom was the Medo-Persian Empire. But I want you to notice where the Medo-Persian Empire came from. Notice Jeremiah 50 verse 9. The Bible says, for lo, I will raise up or raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the where? From the north country. And they shall set themselves in array against her. From thence shall she be taken. Their arrows shall be as, a, as of a mighty expert man. None shall return in vain. So watch this. There was a kingdom north of Babylon. So Babylon was north of Jerusalem, but there was a higher north. A higher north, if you will. Now, we know that kingdom was the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus was the leader of that Medo-Persian Empire. And I want you to notice what the Bible says about Cyrus. Isaiah 41 verse 2, the Bible says, 
who raised up the righteous man from the east. This is talking about Cyrus. Called him to his foot, gave the nations before him and made him ruler or rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword and as driven stubble to his bow. Isaiah 46, verse 11, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country. In other words, this is speaking about the man named Cyrus who was to overthrow Babylon. The Medes were from the east and the Persians were from the north. I want you to catch this, guys. Nebuchadnezzar hears troubling news. The Medes, I should say, were from the north and the Persians were from the east. Nebuchadnezzar hears troubling news regarding the north and the east. Now, I know you're saying, Pastor, where's all this going? Listen, guys, just follow along with me. I'm setting you up for something. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the north, receives troubling news regarding the north and the east. That troubling news is that his kingdom will be overthrown by a higher king. So, what does he do? Let's go to Daniel 3. Daniel 3 verse 1 reads this, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura and in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriff, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So you remember Nebuchadnezzar makes his great image. The image is of the, the nation of Babylon. The image represents national greatness. Nebuchadnezzar, hearing this, trouble, this troubling news regarding another nation, is angry about that news. And as a result, he sets up or plants this image for all to bow down and worship on pain of death. I hope you're following this, guys. Daniel 3, verse 3, then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now you know the story, right? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego do not bow down. And the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they bring him before the king and he throws him into the fire, but they're not hurt. So watch this. Daniel chapter 1, the king of the north has defeated the king of the south, turns his attention to Jerusalem, enforces the wine of Babylon. He hears troubling news from the north and the east and sets up an image in response, commanding all to bow down and worship upon pain of death. 
Let's go to Daniel 4. We're just going to Daniel 6, guys, and then we're done with this part of our exercise, okay? So Daniel 4. In Daniel 4, you'll remember that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and in the dream, he sees this tree. Daniel 4.11 tells us the tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto where? Heaven. And the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. You remember the tree was cut down in this vision. And Daniel tells us, after the dream, he says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness. What is Daniel telling the king of Babylon? He's telling him that this tree, which reached into heaven, represents your pride and your sins. I'm encouraging you to break off your sins because they have reached unto heaven. So please note, in Daniel chapter 4, the sins of the king of Babylon reach unto heaven. Okay, let's keep moving. Let's go to Daniel 5. Daniel 5, you remember, is the chapter where Babylon falls, right? The writing on the wall, many, many to kill. Daniel 5, 26 Daniel gives the interpretation of the writing that was on the wall uh, in Belshazzar's palace. It says, this is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given unto the Medes and the Persians. So this is where Babylon falls to Cyrus. This is where the king of Babylon falls to Cyrus, who is also a king from the north. His kingdom represents a northern kingdom. And it's very interesting because regarding Cyrus, the Bible says of him, Isaiah 44, it says this, speaking of Cyrus, that confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places, uh, thereof that saith to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple, uh, thy foundation shall be laid. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus whose right hand I have hold and to subdue nations before him, I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leave gates and the gates shall not be shut. Cyrus, beloved, was a type of Jesus Christ. Here you have Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon symbolizing the king of the north falling to Cyrus who was a higher king of the north and Cyrus himself is a type of Jesus Christ. He's called God's shepherd. He's called the anointed one. Because he would set the captives free. All right, let's go to Daniel 6. You remember what happened in Daniel 6, right? Daniel is cast into a lion's den. Why? Because evil men were trying to find something against him. They could find nothing against him. And the Bible says, chapter 6, verse 5, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So a decree is passed that is specifically against the law of Daniel's God. 
And as a result of Daniel breaking this decree, he is put in essence into a tomb. This is where he's going to die. Supposed to die. But lo and behold, in Daniel 6, we have this, these words, verse 16, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Remember those words, he will deliver thee. In other words, Daniel, if your God is God, he is going to deliver you from this tomb. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signature and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. What happens? Daniel comes out of the tomb. All right. Let's recap everything that we have learned. Number one, Egypt... The Southern Gang, the Crips, pushes against Babylon, the Northern Gang, the Bloods. Babylon pushes back against, remember Babylon, King of Kings, pushes back against Egypt and defeats Egypt, then turns its attention to the glorious land, Jerusalem. So now it is Babylon versus Jerusalem. Egypt is not in the picture. The southerners, the crypts are not in the picture. It is Babylon versus Jerusalem. What does Babylon do? Babylon enforces the wine of Babylon. But tidings from the north and the east trouble the king of Babylon. Therefore, he goes forth with great fury to destroy. He sets up an image which is the symbol of national greatness. This kingdom sin reaches unto heaven. And then Cyrus, the king of the higher north, comes, defeats Babylon, and sets the captive free by opening the tombs, <laughs> by opening the tomb, Of a righteous man. Now, if you got everything I just said just now, please give me a thumbs up. I just want to see that you have followed the chronology of Daniel chapters 1 through 6. Remember, the things that were written aforetime were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. All right. Let's keep moving. We are now going to go to the book of Daniel chapter 11. And I want you to notice what happens in Daniel 11, particularly verses 40 onward. The Bible says, at the time of the end, shall the king of the south push at him. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Now, this is very interesting because you would think we're reading about the history of what happened with ancient Israel, ancient Babylon and ancient Egypt. But no, 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 no. This is something that is to happen at the time 
of the end. Let's check this out, guys. The time of the end, I want you to notice this. When is the time of the end? According to Daniel 12, 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Daniel 7, 12, 7 tells us, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the rivers, when he had lifted up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half, when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people and all these things shall be finished. The time of the end, according to Daniel 12.4 and Daniel 12.7, is at the end of this 1,260 year period. So sometime, Adventists, we understand, around the end of this time, which would be around 1798, the late 1790s, that's the time of the end. So what we're looking at is at the time of the end, the very history, it looks like, that happened way back in ancient Babylon, Egypt, and Jerusalem, appears to be happening again. All right. Notice what happens, if you're familiar with Bible history or Bible prophecy, you'll remember that at the time of the end, there was a power that was equated with Egypt. It's found in Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. 11, verse 3 reads this, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. The two witnesses, we understand, were the word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They prophesied 1,260 days or prophetic years, the same time period given to get us to the time of the end. This is the Dark Ages. And at the end of this period, notice what the Bible says in verse 7, and when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. Spiritual Egypt. What does this tell us? What gang is this? Help me out. What gang is this? This is the southern gang, yes. These are the southerners, right? Egypt, the south. So the Bible tells us that this Egypt wars against the Bible. We understand this to be the French Revolution, right? Atheism. But notice what else. Notice what else happens. In Revelation 13, 2, the Bible says, and the beast, talking about another beast now, the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear. His mouth as the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power. His seat is great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And there was given unto him, verse 5, there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and 2 months. This beast power, we understand it to represent Babylon. What is Babylon? Babylon is the king of the, the king of the north. These are the northerners. 
The Bible tells us that the king of the north receives a deadly wound at the time of the end. Oh, pastor, I get it. So when the Bible says at the time of the end, the king of the south would push against the king of the north. Oh, this is Egypt initiating a deadly wound against Babylon, king of the north. Are you with me so far? Egypt or France gives a deadly wound to the papacy, the king of the north. But notice what the Bible goes on to say. The Bible says that the king of the north would come back against the king of the south like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen. Now, why is that verse interesting? Because in Isaiah 65 verse 15, the Bible says, for behold, the Lord, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. The Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ comes again, he is coming with fire and with chariots like a whirlwind. So what Daniel 11 verse 40 is telling us is that at the time of the end, the king of the south, atheism, pushes against the papacy, but at some point, there is a response that will overthrow atheism. And guess what that response is? There is only one thing that can overthrow atheism, and that is when Satan himself will come as Jesus Christ. That's what defeats atheism. Satan himself will come as the king of the north. Notice with me Isaiah 14 verse 13. Speaking of Satan, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. In heaven, Lucifer wanted to sit in the place of God on the sides of the north. So what the Bible is telling us is that at some point in the future, Satan will attempt to do the same thing on earth. He will come in person pretending to be Jesus. And this is what defeats Southerners. This is what defeats atheism. Ellen White tells us in The Great Controversy, she says, as the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in the Revelation. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out in the air, Christ has come, Christ has come. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them as Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon the earth. His voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. He heals the diseases of the people and then in his assumed character of Christ, 
He claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. This, she says, is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. I need you to catch this, guys. The way that Egypt or the Southerners are defeated is that Satan himself will come as Jesus Christ. For an atheist to see is to believe. And this is what destroys atheism. In Daniel 11, the king of the north defeats the king of the south. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 41, he shall enter into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. In other words, there will be some people that will escape this deception, which will be worldwide. He will stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the hand of Egypt shall not escape. Now listen carefully to me, guys, because here's what I'm trying to tell you. Egypt is no longer in the picture here. When Egypt is defeated, when the southern gang is defeated, when the Crips whose color is blue. Guys, it's two gangs. Both are gangs. The king of the north, it's a gang. The king of the south, it's a gang. They're both gangs. I need you to lock that into your mind. Both are gangs and God's people should not belong to gangs. And yet we have Adventists who are being initiated <laughs> into gangs. Adventist Crips, Adventist Bloods, the blue versus the red. You know, red because they claim the blood of Christ. Come on, guys. Both sides are not walking in the will of God. Let's keep reading. So what we see here, the king of the north, this is how the king of the north flows into all the countries. Miracles are happening in different parts of the world, and the miracle is the appearing of, of Satan as Christ. By the way, the reason that the Bible says he comes with chariots and ships and horsemen and like a whirlwind is because the whirlwind represents air power, the chariots represents earth power, the ships represent sea power. So watch this. When Satan comes, he's coming, surrounding the people of God with the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, and himself as the prince of the power of the air. 
God's people will be totally surrounded by the threefold union of dragon, beast, and false prophet. Egypt is no longer in the picture. There is no Egypt in the end time. Egypt was just a distraction. The crypts will be gone. It will just be the bloods. It will just be the northerners. So says the Bible. But we're just using gang terminology. You get what I'm saying? All right, come on. Let's keep moving. So the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that, that he shall stretch forth his hand also upon these countries. The land of Egypt shall not escape. Revelation 13, 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Beloved, it is when the deadly wound is healed that the whole world wonders after the beast. Well, the whole world is not now wondering after the beast, which means the deadly wound has not yet been healed. What is the healing of the deadly wound? When dragon, beast, and false prophet unite, and that only happens when the dragon himself appears as Jesus Christ, and he comes, therefore, with chariots and horsemen like a whirlwind and with ships. It is the unification of the threefold power of dragon, beast, false prophet. Right now, it is only beast and false prophet. It is only apostate Protestantism and the papacy. When the dragon himself comes to vindicate what the papacy and apostate Protestantism have been saying, that's when atheism is defeated because for an atheist, seeing is believing. This is when all the world wonders after the beast. This is how the king of the north flows into all the countries and they bow before this king. This is how it happens. Daniel 11.43 goes on to say, but he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver. In other words, he's going to now get into a financial situation where he has power over money. Pastor, I know what you're thinking here. Absolutely. Because Revelation 13, 6 tells us, He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You get the idea now. But watch what happens in verse 44. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. You guys, I need you to catch this. Nebuchadnezzar heard that his kingdom was going to be destroyed by a kingdom. He didn't know at the time the kingdom was coming from the north and the east, but that's where the kingdom was coming from. In the very same way, Daniel 11.44 tells us that this counterfeit king of the north, a king of kings, the title belonging to Jesus himself, will be troubled by tidings out of the east and out of the north, and therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and to utterly make away with many. We're going somewhere with this, guys, so please follow along. Listen, we're almost to where we need to get to, okay? I need you to follow this. Why from the east? What troubles Satan from the east? 
Revelation 7.1, after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor any sea, nor any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. What troubles Satan from the east, beloved, is the everlasting gospel sealing God's people. Why? Because he knows that when the people of God are sealed, that the true king of the north is coming. The true Cyrus from the higher north. Psalm 48 verse 1 and 2. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Who is the true king of the north? It is Jesus himself. It is Michael. The one who is as God. Lucifer is on earth trying to pretend to be Michael, the one who is as God. But he knows that the end time message is going to bring about his destruction. So because of the tidings from the east and the north, he will seek to destroy, to send a death decree to destroy many. In the Great Controversy, page 626, two paragraphs after she describes the coming of Satan as Jesus, two paragraphs, here's what she says. As the decree issued by the various rulers of Christendom against commandment keepers shall withdraw the protection of the government and abandon them to those who desire their destruction, the people of God will flee from the cities and villages and associate together in companies dwelling in the most desolate and solitary places. Are you guys catching this? At the end of time, it will be, listen carefully, it will be Jerusalem versus Northerners. Jerusalem, the remnant versus Babylon. The remnant versus the bloods. Bible prophecy tells us that Egypt, the Southerners, the Crips, is not who we are going to face at the end of time. They are not who are going to set up this new system of government, a theocracy in America. But nonetheless, we're dealing with two gangs. Please get the picture here. Let's keep reading. Notice what happens next. She says, she continues to say, those, watch this guys, those who honor the Bible Sabbath will be denounced as enemies of law and order. Now let me ask you a question. I, I'm not going to ask it. I'm just going to. Those who honor the Bible Sabbath will be denounced as enemies of law and order. So whoever's in charge, the bloods, will be a gang that is professing law and order. That'll be their big thing, law and order. Not only law and order, it says that they will be denounced. These bloods will denounce the remnant of God as enemies of law and order, as breaking down the moral restraints of society and causing 
anarchy and corruption. So these bloods, so-called because they claim the blood of Jesus, that's what we're, you know, our example, these bloods, these reds, claiming the name of Jesus, will turn against Sabbath keepers and say, you guys are anarchists. You're against law and order. Hold on. You are breaking down the moral restraints of society. And because of you, the judgments of God are coming up on the earth. Their conscientious scruples will be pronounced as obstinacy, stubbornness, and contempt for authority. Why are you disrespecting our government? They will be accused of disaffection towards the government. Ministers who deny the obligation of the divine law will present from the pulpit the duty of yielding obedience to the civil authorities as ordained of God. In other words, they're going to lift Babylon to in their minds, Babylon and national, the nationalism of Babylon is God-ordained. In legislative halls and courts of justice, commandment keepers will be misrepresented hmm, and condemned. A false coloring will be given to their words and the worst construction will be put upon their motives. Let me ask you something. You think, do you think Satan is giving the bloods, the northerners, practice right now in this very thing? What do you think? Yeah, guys, this war between the two, the two gangs, the Bloods and the Crips, the Northerners and the Southerners, it's going on right now. It's a prophetic war. The question is, how are we as God's people supposed to relate to this war? Notice Daniel 11 verse 45. Last verse in Daniel 11. He shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain, and yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Just as Nebuchadnezzar planted or set up an image for all to bow down and worship, so this is what will happen at the very end of time. And I want you to notice this. The Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, that son of perdition, who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in a temple of God, showing himself to be God. This is what Satan himself will do. He will set up the tabernacle of his palaces, but he will be destroyed. How do we know that? Because the very next verse, Daniel 12.1, says at that time, shall Michael, the true king of the north, catch what I just said. Michael, the true king of the north, shall stand up. The great prince would stand for the children of thy people, and there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, Thy people shall be delivered. Remember what Daniel was told? Your God will do what? Deliver you from this apparent tomb. Daniel 12, 2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Beloved, what I'm telling you is the exact order of events from Daniel 1 to 6 that was laid out historically will happen again at the end of time. 
And if we are wise enough to see what happened in the past, we can know what we're looking for in the future. So now I need to address us, Jerusalem, the remnant. There's a reason why Jerusalem was taken captive by Babylon, and I need you to listen carefully. You see, Jerusalem was not at its full strength. The people of God were not at their full strength. Why? Because hundreds of years earlier, something happened to the people of Israel. You remember a man by the name of Jeroboam and another one by the name of Rehoboam. And you remember that a civil war broke out within the people of God and they divided they divided into two kingdoms, northerners and southerners. Wow. Why were they weakened? Well, the Bible says a kingdom divided against itself. Matthew 3.24, Mark 3.24, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Do y'all see what Satan's trying to do? He's trying to create Adventist gangs. What are you, bro? You red? You blue? Come on, who, who you with? You're a northerner, you're a southerner, who are you with? Beloved, I need you to understand that Satan's role is very simple. He's trying to infuse the spirit of northerners and southerners into God's people so that we are divided so that while the world is fighting with itself, we are fighting with ourselves because we have either taken the side of northerners or southerners, crips or bloods. So that when the king of the north defeats the king of the south and turns his attention to Jerusalem, whoa, we're already divided. Easy pickings. What I'm trying to tell you, church, is that we need to be very careful because many of us are not being careful. We are declared Southerners or Northerners. Now, don't get me wrong. I know some of you think, well, Pastor, what about? Hold on. I'm address something in a moment. So just don't jump to any conclusions. What I'm saying is that when we put our trust in the Northerners as having the answer for our nation or the Southerners as having the answer for our nation, we have already lost the battle. We are already deceived. You might as well be initiated into the gang of your choosing. 
Because neither gang has the answer. The Crips don't have it. The Bloods don't have it. Neither of them have the answer. They are trying to answer the problem. They are trying to do what they think is best. But we need to realize that neither of them, neither Egypt nor Babylon, has the answer. We need to realize that Babylon is going to defeat Egypt and then turn its wrath on us. That is not to diminish the issues of Egypt. It is simply to say, okay, listen, we cannot put our trust in any of these gangs because none of them have the answer. We have a higher king of the north with a higher message, Revelation 14, 6 through 7, the everlasting gospel. Our fight, listen, beloved, our fight is not to condemn northerners, but to win them. Our fight is not to condemn southerners, but to win them. Listen, you become an automatic northerner when you buy into the narrative that the southerners are evil at heart. You're a northerner. You have bought into gang mentality. Tell you, man, those southerners, they're wicked, they're rioters, they're this, they're that, they don't know God, they're heathen, they're atheists, they're communists, they're Mark. You have bought into the northern gang mentality. You're not exercising the remnant mentality, you're exercising a northern mentality. And if you hate the northerners, you have bought into the southern mentality. You're part of the gang. Beloved, our job is to recognize that both systems are incomplete and being led astray, yet we are to love the people in those systems. We are to win northerners and we are to win southerners, not condemn them personally. So, yes, we can condemn racism and we can also condemn anarchy or lawlessness at the same time without being declared a southerner or a northerner. We can sympathize with the plight of the southerners. We can sympathize with the concerns of the northerners and at the same time not align ourselves hook, line, and sinker with northerners and say, yep, they're evil. Or with southerners, yep, they're evil. No, both parties, I mean, I'm sorry, both gangs are being misled and they don't know it. The northerners and the southerners do not realize who the king of their gangs are. It's the same king, guys. Guess who the king of atheism is? It's Satan. Guess who the king of lawlessness is? It's Satan. Guess who the king of just, yeah, anything goes, is Satan. But guess who the king of the northerners are, is. The king of the northerners is Satan. It's the same king. 
But when he manifests himself as Jesus, he can no longer use atheism as a, as a weapon. So he's got to just ditch that all together and be like, yep, Jesus is real, here I am. Beloved, listen to me. The northerners, they don't know what's coming. They think they're being led by God. They have a false understanding of God. They have no clue of what's coming. The southerners, they have no clue of what's coming. They are being led by a false understanding of who God is. They're not conspiring with the devil any more than the northerners are. But guess what? The devil is deceiving them both. Saying, look, the answer is in your own way or is in your own thinking. No, no, no. The answer is in the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, we must minister to Egypt and to Babylon. We must learn how to minister to the Egyptian mindset and how to minister to the Babylonian mindset, to the northerners and the southerners, to the bloods and the crips, to the reds and the blues. And listen to me, these are not clear lines. You know, sometimes we think, oh, the reds have no atheists. Beloved, there are atheists on the side of the reds and there are Christians on the sides of the blue. But the bottom line is both sides, if they don't have the everlasting gospel, they are obviously not going to understand the only solution to mankind's problem. And if we begin to align ourselves, hook, line, and sinker, and just buy everything and just go along with them as if they have the answers, this is where we are going desperately wrong, and this is where conflict comes in to God's church. This is where we become divided. So, beloved, what's the solution? What is the solution? We're, we're, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. Very simple message. I hope very simple message today. Listen carefully, guys. We work together. Huh? Yeah, we work together. Do you have any church? Yeah, we work together. We work together. You take the left, I'll take the right. You take the north, I'll take the south. If we are a team, if we are a crew, we're not northerners, we're not southerners, we're the remnant. All right, we, we're facing two oppositions here, north and south, left and right. Okay, hey, I, I understand the mindset of Egyptians. I understand the mindset of the Babylonians. So, okay, you take the Babylonians and minister to them. You take the Egyptians and minister to them. And don't accuse each other. Why are you reaching out to the Egyptians? Why are you reaching out to the Babylonians? No, if we're on the same page that we're trying to win them and not join them, then we would not have an issue. But the problem is many of us have bought into hook, line, and sinker. We put our trust and our faith in their solutions. And as a result, we start looking at each other as the enemy. Beloved, we work together. If you want to minister to a, a southern mind, you have to know how that southern mind works. You reach the southern mind with acts of love, with empathy. 
Don't poo-poo the southern mind. Don't laugh at the southern mind. Don't be like, y'all are wicked. And I. No, 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 no. You can't reach the southern mind, the, the southern gang, the, the same way you reach the northern gang. And some of God's people may know better. I have friends in the northern gang. I got people in the northern gang. So I, I kind of know how they think. I'm not joining them. I know how they think. Let me reach out and minister to them. We can do that without hating each other. Oh, you're ministering to the southern gangs. You must like the southern and hate the northerners. No, 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 no. We shouldn't be hating anybody. We shouldn't be getting that poison, the poison of the world, into our own system. Revelation 6, 2, I got just a few more verses. Ephesians 6, 11, the Bible says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Beloved, we have to understand that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Stop pointing to flesh and blood. Look, they're rioting. They're evil. Look, they're trying to pass, you know, Laws for Christianity, they're evil. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood. And the moment you sink to flesh and blood is the moment you have lost the battle. These are people who are being led by an enemy that they cannot see. And our job with the three angels' messages is to win the blues and win the reds. It's to win the crips and to win the bloods. It's to win the northerners and to win the southerners. And to do that, beloved, we have to work together. We have to have each other's back. Our role is to be peacemakers. That's Matthew 5, 9. So when I am going up against the bloods or the crypts, my goal is to be a peacemaker. It's to draw them out of a war mindset and bring them into the peace of Christ. And beloved, to do that, I've got to be able to minister to them. I've got to be able to empathize with them, to know what their struggles are, and then bid them follow the remnant. Follow the remnant as they follow Jesus. So I'm going to close with a story. I'm going to tell you a little something about myself. When I was growing up, when I was a kid, me and my best friend T and my brother, my younger brother, we would often imagine ourselves in an epic crisis situation in school. That's what we do in school sometimes. We just imagine. And at the end of class, and the end of school day, we would get together and we would tell about our imaginations. And very often, it would be me, T, and Sean back to back surrounded by all these enemies and we had our ninja swords and it was just us against all these enemies and we were back to back meaning we had each other's back we were united and we saw everybody else as the enemy we had each other's back beloved listen to me God's people need to have that mentality we have different skills. You are able to speak to a northerner and connect with a northerner and minister to the northerner. 
You are able to connect with a southerner and minister. If our goal is the same thing, to win them to the gospel, not, oh yeah, that's evil, or they're evil, or they're evil. If our goal is the same thing, then we ought to have one another's back. I just need someone to tell me, pastor, I got your back. I got your back, pastor. You're good with dealing with that? All right, deal with it. That's what we need. That's what needs to be happening, guys. We don't need to be accusing. Each other. If we're joining gangs, then yeah, there's going to be lots of room for accusation. But if we are united on this mission, hey, we've got to win the northerners and the southerners, and we can empathize with, with the struggle that both of them are going through, but we got to show them, listen, there's some realities you're both going to have to face, but by the grace of God, you can see and understand what truth is. If we are united on that, beloved, we can have each other's back. Who has my back? I will have your back. Will you have my back? Come on, guys. Yes, yes. Atheism is a problem. Let's not deny that. Yes, yes. Communist, all those things are problems. Let's not deny that. Let's not deny that racism is a problem. Let's not deny it. We're not selling out to the gang. We're not part of gangs. So we can be in Christ and say, yep, it is true. See, the reason that many of us don't want to acknowledge racism is a problem is because our gang members will be mad at us because we belong to a gang. Let me speak the truth. Come on, bro. If you're red, racism doesn't exist. And if you admit that, you're not red. You're not one of us. Get out of the gang, guys. Get out of the gang. It's the same thing for the blues. Beloved, we have to understand that we should not be beholden to any gang. We're beholden to Jesus Christ. And when we're beholden to Jesus Christ, we can see and acknowledge, yep, wrong, yep, wrong. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to address it? No, you can't address it by passing laws that dictate right righteousness. No, you shouldn't be addressing it by burning stuff down. But hey, I hear your pain. I hear your suffering. I don't deny it. I hear you, Christian, as you say, you know, we're being mocked. I hear you. But listen, there's a way that we deal with that. I was on campus, and uh, I was at a party, 1992, 93. In college, I'm at a party, and I noticed some guy looking at me. I didn't really pay much mind. And every time I would look around, you know, crowded party, I, in hindsight, I remember him getting closer and closer to me. And at one point, I was talking to this guy. I was by myself at this point, talking to this guy. And then I heard behind me, what did you say? And I turned around and there's this guy standing right behind me. I said, what? He said, what did you say? And I turned around and looked to see who was talking to the guy behind me. I turned back and I was like, are you talking to me? And without another word, this guy punched me in the face. And my head snapped back. And I looked at him. 
And then I looked around and I noticed that he had a whole crew of people surrounding me. Must have been, I don't know, 20, 25 people. And what, what they didn't know is that I had with me my crew of, I don't know, maybe about 30 or 40 people that were there scattered around the party. I looked over, saw my best friend, T, the same kid I grew up with, and I yelled to him, T! He was talking to somebody, he looks over to me, and I was like, we got beef! And then I turned around and engaged this guy in a fight, and their whole crew tried to rush in on me, and before they could do it, my 40 people were there. I know, it's crazy. There's a kind of life that we lived. My 40 people were there, having my back. Now, beloved, that's what we did in the world. Why aren't we doing that symbolically in the church? God has called us to fight the good fight of faith. Would to God that we had each other's back instead of condemning each other, oh, you're a sinner because you're eating with sinners. Oh, you're this because... Instead of doing that, would to God that we were all on the same page with this one thing that we are called to win, not be one, but to win people to Christ. Would to God that we had each other's back. Do you have my back? I have your back. If we can agree that we're on the same page to win, to witness, then I have your back. I can't have your back if you believe that the northerners have the answer or the southerners have the answer. I can't have your back. I can't. But I can have your back if you believe that the gospel is the answer and it is practically demonstrated to win people to Jesus Christ. My appeal, let's have one another's back. Let's have one another's back. Let's have one another's back. Heavenly Father, remind us that our mission has never been to join the world. Our mission was to be in the world, but not of the world. To empathize with the world, but win the world. Please, Lord, help us instead of fighting against each other like Adventist gangs, help us, Lord, to have one another's back because our mission is the same. Help us to know that our brothers from another mother in this church can understand and recognize the plight of a race of people who are struggling and not feel like our own brethren don't even care. Help us, Lord, in this church 
help us in this church to understand that some of our brethren are feeling like secularism is overtaking society and help us to realize that this is a problem and that we need not treat it like it's not happening. But Lord, help us to be able to agree and empathize with, with one another, Lord, and work together to address the issues and to present the gospel as the answer to both problems those in the south and those in the north please lord bring union within your church let us not be divided let us be on the same page let us remember the gospel is supposed to be translated to meet the needs of the oppressed, to meet the needs of the downtrodden, to meet the needs of those who are worried about X, Y, or Z. Lord, please, please, please help us to have one another's back because you, Lord, have our back. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering this prayer because we ask it in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's www.powerofthelamb.com. Thank you and God bless.